Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the experience of Randy from Enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. He says, It was the summer in 1974. I was eight years old with no cares in the world. I used to hang out with my older brothers playing all sorts of games. One game we used to play we named Pass Out. This game was played by one person who would inhale and exhale as deep as they could about 10 to 12 times, and another person would squeeze their chest until they passed out. To prove I was worthy of being with my older brothers and their friends, I was the guy who would be the one they would squeeze and pass out. I did this about four times before, and nothing ever happened to me. I would pass out and never remember a thing. The very last time I did... It was a different story. This last time I did this, we did it across the street from our house. I must have passed out as usual, but this time I floated out of my body, and here I was hovering about ten feet above my two brothers and a friend. I remember them giggling and laughing at me, and I remember getting mad or angry that they were laughing at me, my body. At the time, I didn't even think that what was happening to me was odd or unusual. I just had this feeling of total love surrounding me, and I felt so good like never before. As I sat there, looking at my brothers, I started to go up a little higher until I was above the big tree, and soon I could see the top of our house. I then started to gradually start drifting across our neighborhood, And soon I was high enough to see the entire village, like I was flying in an airplane. As I approached the high school, which is the the last building at the end of town, I started to shoot straight up into a white light. I was fine up to that point, but I started to think to myself that I might never come back, and I wanted to go home. As soon as I thought this, as soon as I thought that thought, I heard a voice say, you're not ready yet. Immediately after hearing that voice, I zoomed at what seemed like a thousand miles an hour right back in my body and woke up with a big jolt. I mentioned what happened to me briefly to my mother, but she thought I was making up something at the time, and my brothers all laughed at me. I never mentioned it again until years later when I saw an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and said, that happened to me. I asked my brother years later about that day, and he said at the time that I wasn't breathing, and they started kicking me to wake me up, and finally did, obviously. He said for a while there, they got really scared. That's the end of Randy's experience. And uh, something that I find worth mentioning in here is the fact that when he first goes out of his body, he doesn't even seem to pay attention. I don't want to say he doesn't notice the fact because, uh, you know, if you, how do you drift away from something without noticing you're drifting, you know, but, but uh, he doesn't even seem to pay attention to the fact that he is outside of his body looking at his body. Everything feels so normal except this feeling of total love. This seems to point to the, the uh, idea that many people, not, uh, not everyone, because I've heard many exceptions, but many people, when they leave their body, it's so comfortable, so normal, 
and so, you know, nonchalant, if you will, that uh, they just don't even realize that they're out of their body. And then sometimes it's looking at their body that people will say, oh, that's my body. But others, like him, he doesn't even seem to, he just seems to be mad that the boys are laughing at him. Even though he's not connecting the fact that there's his body, but here's me and we are separate. But something interesting that I should point out regarding that is that children tend to take, from from what I've seen anyway, and, and maybe others' research will bear out differently, but from what I've noticed, it seems that children, the younger they are, the more they just take the experience in stride. There's not as much shock. There's not as much, um, you know, blown mind of, of, you know, what is going on kind of thing. They just go with it. Children tend to be just like, okay, you know, moving on, you know, and here we go. And don't seem to uh, have as much of a shock, basically. Now, I have a theory about that. My theory is that very, very young children, I would say about the ages that we don't tend to remember being, you know, one to three, or zero to three, you might say, uh, depending on your ability to remember back that far. Um, that time of not remembering, I suspect, the veil is very thin for most children. Can't speak for all, but I suspect for most children, it's still quite thin. And once that veil fully sets in, fully takes over and, and, uh, the memory disappears entirely from uh, our pre-earth life, from angels we might have seen, or spirits, or anything like that. I suspect by then the memory's gone, but before that, I suspect they do have some memories, some interactions with spirits from the other side. I don't know. I'm I'm theorizing based on things that I've heard, but uh, this seems to... Um, point evidence toward that idea because here he is leaving his body and then starting to float away and he's not even not even thinking about the fact and now he's eight years old which is late uh, as far as memories are concerned and so forth and he doesn't seem to um, he doesn't mention having any other memories of previous uh, spiritual experiences like this but uh, but being eight years old it could be that the memory was still only, you know, masking or that it had masked enough that he couldn't remember anything, but it didn't feel strange to be in another setting. I've heard some people describe this state of when we are fully and entirely on the earth now, you know, and no more spirits for the most part, no more experiences with the other side as being called earthbound. And I think that's a good term for it. Eventually, most of us will be become earthbound, usually probably as a child, um, sometimes teenagers, you know, but um, at some point, spiritual things aren't as automatic to us. You know, you tell a child that God is there, that he's taking care of, of everybody, that Jesus loves them and so forth, they just accept it. They just accept it. And I think that's partly what is meant by the term childlike in, in uh, uh, 
like biblical sense and so forth is is this willingness to believe but but i think the reason for the willingness to believe is because the veil is still quite thin and you know it's like telling a near death experiencer that you saw a spirit or that you had this experience they of course they're going to believe you they're going to be like yeah something like that happened to me too you know and they just have this believableness or believingness because of their experiences children i suspect have similar experiences but they forget them and the sooner after forgetting them then an experience like this happens probably the less um shocking it will be but the more earthbound they become the more it'll be like what's going on that's my body but i'm right you know so forth like that anyway and and i should say too you know uh those who have had near-death experiences seem to have their earthboundness broken to some extent because they're just more prone to experiences which brings us to a comment that we got today and we actually got a couple um, but i'm going to read this one first because it includes an experience and uh, this is allison she says hello chaz after today's episode i felt compelled to contact you with a couple of thoughts first i wanted to say once again great job and i love the podcast and that I really enjoy how interactive you are with your listeners. I was driving when listening to an episode and never expected you to read my first email in the air. I about fell off my seat. I was really excited, albeit nervous, even though it wasn't even me on the air. I thought that was really cool. A friend of mine listened to your podcast for the first time ever when I told her you had done so. She enjoyed the podcast as well, including your thoughts at the end of the episode, which leads me to the email shared today, Diane's, and your response. You shared some heavy personal stuff, and I want to thank you for your vulnerability. I just kept thinking of Brene Brown after listening to your episode. Not sure if you've ever heard of her, but she has a TED Talk on vulnerability that's definitely worth listening to. Most people think that in order to be strong, you have to appear not weak. However, she says that in order to be strong, we must be vulnerable, which in today's society, for men especially, is not really accepted. That all heroes during their journey are vulnerable at some point, or even during most of it. And that's, what's make, that's what makes you strong. She obviously has wondered or sorry, she obviously has worded her explanation much more eloquently than I, but I wanted to point out to you your strength in being vulnerable about your life and your situation, and you should check out her talk. I love when people are real. Life is tough, and I wanted to acknowledge that in you. While I'm here, I might as well share my experiences with what I would call maybe side effects instead of after effects uh, from listening to near-death experiences. A little backstory. My family on my mom's side, my aunt and cousin in particular, have always been in touch with the other side. They have always lived in haunted houses and such. I've never really experienced that. However, what I have experienced is mainly just with my mom. We have always had little instances where we both buy the same thing or we text each other at the same time. Kind of like we were on the same, same wavelength, if you will. It's always been something where we joke about how in sync we are. There have been a handful of things, synchronicities I'm calling them, that have 
happened as well as two events of me knowing or seeing in my mind what was going to happen. I suppose listening before listening to all the near-death experiences, I would have just brushed them off as odd coincidences, whereas now I take them a little more seriously. The events haven't been anything altering or anything. One of them, I was at work, I am a vet tech, and I saw in my mind's eye a scenario play out. It was more than just my imagination. It's hard to describe. It was more of where I saw what was going to happen and how I would react when it happened. This scenario was something kind of random and not something I do or see every day. So I play it out in my head and imagine my surprise when about five minutes later the exact scenario played out. I actually told a couple of people about it because I was so surprised that I had thought for lack of a better description, this, and it happened. There have been several times when I'll see my daughter doing something in my mind's eye, and a couple of minutes later, she plays out what I saw. It's so crazy. I have yet to determine if these things are now happening because I'm more open to them, or they have always happened and I just brush them off as something random. The seeing something before it happens is not something I've ever experienced before that I can remember. I think what I've gained most is these things carry a little more weight now for me than just a random coincidence. Sometimes I feel like a message is being conveyed. Like when I just happened to meet someone who was getting ready to leave as I was just coming in, and they end up telling me exactly what I needed to hear at that moment something that is fitting for a struggle I'm going through, and something I really need to hear that day. I take those as little messages. I've also found that I have a lot more compassion for other people. I have always been more of an animal person than a people person, but I now tend to see people walking around as other souls instead of a person. I feel more connected to them. I don't fear death anymore, and, I act, and I'm actually kind of excited to see what is in store for me on the other side when it's my time. As I stated, I'm a vet tech and an animal lover, and was so thrilled to hear the accounts of birds and dogs. I'd love to hear some accounts about cats and horses if there are any. I think that about sums up all I have experienced. Thank you again. God bless you and your family. Oh, Allison, thank you, and God bless you too. What a wonderful comment. Beautiful. And, you know, it's so cool that you mention that uh, TED Talk. It was just a couple of months ago when I was, I, you know, I, for, for a while I was uh, seeing a therapist just to kind of help me with some of the stress in my life and so forth. And, and I was talking with her about, you know, the, some just just kind of opening up with her some of the challenges I was having and so forth. And, and she started talking about vulnerability and she recommended that TED Talk to her. Let's see, I think you men, mentioned who it was. Yes, Renee Brown is the talk. So I will link to that for the listeners. I think it's a very, very important message. And one that I wouldn't have realized before getting into near-death experiences, but I think 
it's a spiritual message. I really do. The vulnerability is a spiritual message. And it's kind of funny because just about a week later, I was, I was uh, teaching a, a class in, in Sunday school. Just somebody asked me to substitute teach a Sunday school class. And, and I taught and I, I felt pretty good about it. It wasn't, you know, amazing or anything. And I didn't feel like I'd, you know, humiliated myself or anything. It was a good lesson, I, I suppose. And, and uh, when I got done, a friend called me in aside and, and kind of, he, he, he's a good friend and I, you know, very much respect him, but he kind of said, you know, you need to be a little more confident and, you know, be more uh, uh, authoritative, I guess, uh, you know, authority based because, you know, you know what you're talking about and you've got really good message. So, you, you know, um, and basically what I heard from him is try not to be so vulnerable when you're teaching. And, you know, this is a good friend of mine. And I, I thought about that. I thought a lot about it. And, you know, maybe I misunderstood him. I'm not sure. Maybe he meant something completely different, but I went home. I thought about it. I prayed about it. And I, you know, just kind of, I usually let things sit for a while before, you know, thinking about what I'm going to do about it. But, uh, it was shortly that, that lesson had been shortly after my visit with my therapist who had talked about, um, vulnerability and then watching the talk that she recommended, uh, by Brene Brown, I, uh, I thought, you know what? And, and the conclusion I came to was that I appreciate the words that he said, but I think I need to be even more vulnerable. And so <laughs> quite the opposite of the approach that he was encouraging, I decided I'm going to start being more vulnerable just because opening up allows people to open up. And some people don't like it. And I understand that. And that could be one of the, one of the reasons that people don't like it when people are too vulnerable, because it tends to crack open their own vulnerabilities and they don't like that. They're not ready for that. And I totally understand if you're not ready to open up a little bit more and, and be willing to not know things and be willing to not have answers to things and be willing to, to allow your you know, imperfections and your, and your faults to be known. And as well as just the things in your life that you would just rather not be so, you know, kind of like some of the things that we talked about the other day. So I love that you brought that up. And, and I think it's, I, I think it's a valuable lesson to everyone is the uh, power and importance of vulnerability. It's not weakness. It's not saying, oh, I'll do whatever you want. You know, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's, it's being willing to, um, to accept and embrace the parts of yourself that you can't control, uh, you know, aspects of your life that you can't control. Just, you know, it's okay. And it's okay to talk about those things with people, especially people that you trust or that, that you feel close to. And you, as listeners, I feel close to you because you guys have reached out to me and been so complimentary and so helpful in, in, in you know, with, with the podcast and with the messages we're talking about. And honestly, near-death experiences is a very vulnerable topic to me because it's still feels new to me. I've been studying these things for years, but 
there's so much that I don't understand or don't know why it would be this way or how it would, you know, what does that mean for the rest of my life or, or, you know, with what I'm doing with my life and so forth, it puts me in a much more vulnerable position in a way. And so I, I felt comfortable being vulnerable with you guys. And so I really appreciate comments like this that just validate that. So thank you for that, Allison. I love the experience that Allison shares about, you know, she describes it as the side effects or after effects of listening to near-death experiences. And you know what, Allison? I think there's, I think you've got something there. I don't know what it is, and I have not seen research on this. I've only had my own experiences, and hearing from your experiences, and I would love to hear from others who are learning about near-death experiences. I would love to know if you're finding little after effects of near-death experiences. Also tell me if you've had close brushes with death or similar kinds of things in the past in case that might have bumped you in this direction. I mean, I don't know of anything as a kid, you know, and, and yet there's always the possibility that at birth there were things, you know, I mean, I talked to my mom. She's very open about the things that, that went you know, that she went through with our birth. I mean, most that she says about when she was pregnant with me was that she was always thirsty. She just couldn't keep enough water down. <laughs> I just was a water baby, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I jokingly tell her since then, well, that that may explain why I wet the bed for the first nine years of my life. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, there, there just haven't been a lot of, I've, I've had, a lot of accidents, break, broken legs, smashed my teeth in, you know, just, I was a very rambunctious kid, but I don't remember ever being knocked unconscious from anything or having any close brushes with death. And, you know, unless there's things that I've forgotten about or that she's forgotten about. Uh, anyway, um, so I don't know of any anything that I've had, but I've always had this, especially since about the age of 10-ish, I've really had an interest in spiritual things. I've really felt uh, a draw towards God, towards Jesus Christ. And that drew me very strongly into my religious uh, background. You know, I'd grown up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was about that age I really started searching and really started wanting to understand. And, you know, as it may relate to you guys, in relation to my religion, one of the things that really stuck out to me was the experience of the founder, which was Joseph Smith. And if you read his experiences, I mean, they match near-death experiences on so many levels. I mean, his first major spiritual experience was an experience seeing God and Jesus Christ face to face. And the effects that it had on him sound so familiar with these near-death experiences that I'm like, you know, it wasn't until I'd, I'd been studying this stuff for a couple of years and hearing about after effects and hearing about, you know, how people are more inclined to have more experience. You know, it was hearing all that. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I've never looked at it by, you know, from this framework. But anyway, you know, my point is it's kind of fun to 
to first off that it's kind of fun to look at near-death experiences and and re-look at things that you knew before in relation to near-death experiences kind of like Allison does here she says I've always had these weird little coincidences and she's she says I've always just you know chalked it up to random and and coincidence or you know synchronicities that are that are just kind of cool never really thought much about it kind of thing and also, I find it interesting that she mentions that she has other family members who have always been in touch with the other side. I don't know how it works, but there seems to be, from my perspective, again, I don't know of any, you know, laid out research on this, but there seems to me, from my perspective, to be a genetic component to this, or at least a genetic tendency Um you know, and and that's the thing that I kind of ascribe. If if there is anything, um, you know, from my past, if you will, that could be something of an explanation for my own spiritual yearnings and interest, is that my mom, my grandma, and my great grandma, and probably many others. Those are the only ones that come to mind immediately. Um, have all had experiences that are very in line with the kinds of things we talk about on this podcast, near-death experiences, after effects, you know, um, synchronicities and so forth that, that are just so in line with this topic. So I find that very interesting. So I love this. Um, I love this. So I did want to briefly mention that I have heard of accounts regarding horses and cats Horses even more so probably, but but cats as well. Though I can't I can't remember exactly where I'd heard them, where I saw them. So I'll have to I'll have to poke around. You know that's that's kind of fun. I I'm an animal guy too. You know and and I was really excited when I heard from uh, I believe it was Sharon Milliman in her experience. It, it, I can't remember for sure. Or maybe it was Peggy. Robinson. I, I anyway uh, about a little duck that she'd had, and I was like, "Yes, ducks!" <laughs> and yet, you know, it's kind of silly. I mean, once you cover, you know, ducks and and cats and and horses and, and everything, you know, they're all there. <laughs> you know that they all are. But it's sure fun to hear the stories and and sure fun to connect with them like that. So, I, you know, fabulous. Also, we have a uh, call in. This is Delon again making a comment on the music, and so I wanted to share that real quick. Hi, Jess. Uh, this is Delon. Hey, uh, the last couple of podcasts uh, on uh, Barbara uh, Bartholomew's and Anne Maria's, uh, you you had this uh, music that you've played in the background, suggested by uh, one of your brothers, I guess Shane or Jake. <laughs> But uh, you wanted to know how uh, people, uh, what they thought of it, you know, if they liked it or didn't or whatever. And uh, uh, to me, it it makes it a little bit more spiritual, I think. So that part's uh, good. Uh, but on the other hand, I found sometimes that I, I find my mind kind of concentrating on the, the music itself, you know, the piano playing or whatever it is. Uh, sometimes I do that when I listen to pretty music. <laughs> so in that way, it was just a little bit distracting, I guess. Uh, 
I tried to listening to Barbara's, uh, you know, the YouTube part without the music in it. And, uh, so, uh, and then with, with it. And, uh, it, it don't make too much difference to me, I guess. Uh, uh, and that may just be me. There may be others that, you know, they really like it. But I, I thought I'd give you, uh, my thought on it. Uh, tried to reply, uh, you know, on the podcast itself once. It just keeps always telling me that I'm uh, expected uh, to watch, you know. <laughs> so uh, I forgot to mention on that, uh, too, about the uh, background music. Uh, I uh, I think you had it about the right uh, volume. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I, I've some shows now that I've seen background music. At. Sometimes I have it so loud that it's hard to, uh, you know, it's distracting and hard to understand the, what's being said. But, uh, but that was just about right the way you've got it. Uh, but once again, like I says, to me, uh, it, it, it helps be a little bit more spiritual, but sometimes it's just a little distracting to me. But that's me. So anyway, hope that helps. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Delon. Thank you for calling because this I'm I'm very glad to hear uh, from you guys about how you liked the background music. And if you hear the podcast that, well, from my perspective, it was just released yesterday, but I I think it was it was uh, probably a week ago now from the time that this posts. Uh, you know, you'll hear that the overwhelming response has been, you know. The music's beautiful, but we'd prefer not. Kind of, that's been kind of the consensus. So that's what we're going to go with, which I'm glad about because I get more time to focus on making the podcast episodes and don't have to worry about going back and lining up the music and and everything because that did take a little extra time, which I was willing to do. But I'm really kind of relieved that I don't have to do that. <laughs> Even though, if you have other suggestions for the podcast, I'm. I, I, anything that I can do to make the podcast better, I, I want to hear it. So, if you would like to contact the podcast, either to make a comment, uh, ask a question, or share your experience, uh, you can do that by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. You can also call 970-NDE-CAST. We also do have a Facebook page, which I need to fix, because when I first set it up, I was able to get the... Uh, episodes to post to Facebook, but then something happened and it just started posting to my uh, profile page. And if you know me, I only post, you know, once every couple of days or something. And so it just suddenly slammed my my uh, uh, Facebook with, with the podcast episodes. And, you know, if I posted, you know, many times a day, that wouldn't be any big deal. But it, it you know, it was kind of like, well, that that's, you know, not what I'm trying to do with my Facebook profile, but, uh, I, you know, I'm happy to post sometimes with, you know, especially with the interviews and things like that. I, I do post to Facebook, my Facebook profile, but, uh, so I disconnected it and haven't yet figured out how to get it to post only to the page and not to my profile page as well. <laughs> so, um, also we have a Twitter account, um, which is just NDE cast, or it could be NDE podcast. I better look that up. But if you would like to contribute to the podcast, uh, you can become a monthly um, contributor 
by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. And regardless of whether you can do anything to support the podcast in that way, I'm just so glad you're here. I really am. This has felt to me like a bit of a lifeline. We, you know, as I talked about previously, this has been a tough period for the past, I don't know, a couple of years or something. And this podcast has really, really lifted my spirit simply because it's given me such a sense of purpose because of the effect that it's having and and that your experiences that you're sharing, your comments, your you know, interactions with the podcast have been having, it it goes both ways. And the more your lives are touched, the more life more my life is touched and hopefully the more others' lives are touched. So with that, thank you again, all of you, so much for listening. Mm-hmm.